Uh, it, it's, it's good to be here. As cold as it is, it's still good to be here. I mean, it just feels like Chicago. What the heck? Uh, I do want to, am, am I okay here? We're working on that, it looks like. Uh, I, I want to say thanks, and maybe you could also express your thanks to Robert and the whole leadership team of the City Network, I mean, for doing this. And just like I did yesterday, I, I also, I want to, I want to brag on you too. I mean, you may not understand just how exceptional um, what you have here really is. The fact that you have a diverse group of net, uh, churches all coming together and saying, no, what we need is we need more kind of Jesus-centered churches in Boise and in this whole surrounding area, and that you're doing that together is a very, very special thing. And I want you to know, uh, because I get a chance to kind of travel around, well, actually around, around the world, specifically working with networks, and what you're doing is a model. And uh, I'll tell you what, just lean over to someone next to you and just pat them on the back and say, way to go. All right, just tell them, say, way to go. Good job. All right, there you go. Um, Robert mentioned, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of almost we're hopefully coming out of COVID, hopefully. And uh, I want to look back and then also look forward. And what does this mean for our churches? What does this mean for the next generation? Uh, it was March 12th, 2020, when um, I made two different versions of the same video. I made one of them because I knew one of them was going to be sent to the whole church. One of them was a video saying, hey, we'll see you this Sunday. We're sticking to our normal schedule. We have 26 services across all our locations in Chicagoland. We'll see you there. And then our creative team had me make a second video, and the second video said, for this Sunday, we are going to move everything online, and all our facilities uh, will be closed. That was the morning of March 12th. Why? Because, as you probably remember, on March 11th, it was kind of a memorable day, at 12.36 p.m., the World Health Organization announced that COVID-19 was a global pandemic. We were kind of jarred, didn't know what that mean. I think for most of us, it, it actually became real when Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson at 6.03 p.m. that evening announced on Instagram that they had tested positive for COVID because now it had a face. And then if it still wasn't real, by 9.31 p.m. that evening, the NBA announced they had temporarily suspended their season. Well, that was Wednesday. That next day when I made those two videos, still not understanding exactly what this meant, uh, Sue and I got in the car. Uh, my wife Sue and I, we got in the car. We were headed to O'Hare Airport in Chicago. We were flying to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We were going to go watch my youngest son, Caleb, compete in the uh, NCAA Division III Track and Field National Championships. And, He'd been an All-American the year before, and he'd worked really, really hard, and we were excited about seeing him compete in the 3,000 meter, and thought he had a very, very good chance of being an All-American again. So we're on our way to O'Hare. Sue gets a phone call from my middle, my middle child, my oldest boy, Josh. Josh is saying, hey, I just saw on Twitter that the NCAAs have been canceled. And Sue's like, what? Are you sure? She's saying, yeah, it's all over Twitter. They're saying that they're canceled. So we hung up that call, we got on the phone, decided to call Caleb, our youngest, who was competing already in North Carolina, already there with his team and his coaches, and we called him, and, and he picks up the phone, and he's a very outgoing, kind of extrovert kind of guy, and he's like, hey, how you doing, Mom? I can't wait to see you guys. He doesn't know. He didn't know, his coaches didn't know, Twitter knew, and now we had to inform Caleb, yeah, this event that you've spent, you know, how many years training for, it's not gonna happen, and we're sorry. We turned the car around and came back to Chicago, and uh, 
With that, within 24 hours, we sent out that second version of the video saying that all of our locations were going to be closed. And in our case, in Chicago, we were, we were closed for the next 51 weekends. Now, as someone who provides leadership for a local church and someone who also provides leadership for new thing, now a global church planning network and also for Exponential, I can assure you I have spent more time in prayer, I think, on just basically God give me wisdom. I mean, if you, if you looked, I got my journal here propping up my iPad. If you looked at my journal almost every day, it's got James 1.5 because that's where God promises to give you wisdom if you ask. And it's like I'm trying my best to grab God, if that's okay, by the collar and say, you promised. And so as I've prayed, I felt like over the last two years, God's given me a particular verse, but also a particular kind of motto. And the verse that I feel like God's given me is 2 Timothy 1.7, and it challenges me every day, and it's this. For God not has, give, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I, had a, I have, a, I have a, a mentor of mine from Texas, and he kind of gave me this, this motto, which I've held on to, and it's simply this. Where fear sees a crisis, faith sees opportunity. Where fear sees a crisis, faith sees opportunity. I'll tell you what, do me a favor. Turn to someone next to you, just tell them that. Where fear sees a crisis, faith sees opportunity. So here it is now. We're getting close to almost two years later from that March 12th date. And I, I've tried my best to view uh, <clears throat> the crisis we face with opportunity. And so what I want to do is I just want to spend kind of the next maybe 20 minutes or so just kind of talking to you about here's, here's four different opportunities that I see ahead for each of our churches. And my hope is it'll kind of spark your spiritual imaginations to figure out what does that mean in your context? What does this mean in your context? Here's the, here's the first opportunity that I think I see for all. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for innovation. And I hope none of us miss this opportunity, this window, that really it does give us permission to innovate like never before. Um, I went back uh, as I was preparing this talk, and I reread a, a book that I got to write with Alan Hirsch called On the Verge, just at least parts of it on innovation. And I came across these words, and it, and it said this, if you really want to see innovation happen, find a crisis. It's in the middle of a crisis that we come to the realization that the end is near or a new future is being born. On the verge of a crisis, we're also on the verge of our greatest moment. And it's at that moment we must decide, either innovate or die. Now I'll tell you what, we, we have definitely found ourselves a crisis. And I think, um, as I heard Ed, Ed Stetzer speak just a few weeks ago to our new thing gathering in Chicago, it's not just one, but there's like a, a cultural convulsion of about a half dozen of these. And some of them are, yeah, there's a health crisis with the pandemic that's now going to claim the lives of, you know, 900,000 Americans. Two weeks ago, I was talking to a guy in my church, and he told me he had 18 friends. He had 18 friends that he knew, friends and family members, that had passed away because of COVID. We have a civil rights crisis with the murder of George Floyd. And I think because of COVID, all of us were at home. And it was like, it just, it like forced us. You all will watch this. There's a mental health crisis that's particularly epidemic with, with our young people. I think there's a spiritual crisis where the Barna Group is saying even up to 18% of our churches could close. And so the quote from On the Verge 
is actually, it was actually something I wrote coming out of the 2008-2009 economic crisis. Remember that? And just so you know, I'm not prone to quoting myself. <laughs> um, candidly, I didn't even remember I wrote it. But here's what happened as I was reading that word. I went back to the section of innovation. When I was reading the words, it was like I was hearing, imagine this, I was hearing myself speak. I was hearing a more daring, a more braver version of myself challenging me, don't miss this opportunity to innovate. And I get my inspiration from Jesus. See, when Jesus came to the world, he came, yes, as Lord. He came, yes, as Savior. He came, yes, as a model of how to live life. But I also think, let's not miss this. I think we can also, he came as an innovative spiritual leader. Because if we understand and we go back to the world Jesus first entered in, think about this. The center of Jewish life, there were two religious institutions. There was the temple, right? Then there was the synagogue. There was only one temple, and that temple was the place where people from all over the Roman Empire, they would travel every year to celebrate major religious festivals, the temple. Now, while there was one temple, there were lots of synagogues. And the synagogues were religious buildings in each local town or, or community. And so then every Sabbath day, people would travel to their local synagogue to read Scripture and pray. So Jesus enters into this world where the life of God's people is centered around two structures. Two buildings, a temple, and a synagogue. But then Jesus gave God's people a new and innovative term, the church. The church. Now, why do I say that's innovative? Because in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus first introduces this idea of church, he has an important interaction with his disciples. And here's what he says to Peter. He says this to Peter. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, help me out, my build my what? Church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now here's what's so fascinating. Is that when Jesus introduces this term church, the word he uses for church is not a word that the disciples ever would have expected. They totally would have expected him to use the term temple. Or maybe use the term synagogue. But instead, he chooses the word, the word ecclesia. Okay, ecclesia. And in Jesus' day, ecclesia was not a religious institution, like a temple or like a synagogue. In fact, ecclesia was a term that described a gathering, a group of people that would meet in the marketplace or would meet in the public square. Ecclesia wasn't a religious term at all. And so while Jesus' disciples would have expected him to say, I'm going to build my temple. I'm going to build my synagogue. Now Jesus says something different, something creative, something new. He says, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. And what he was actually saying is, I'm going to build small gatherings of people in your neighborhoods, in the marketplace, in the public square, and those are the folks who are going to gather there to carry out my mission. Uh, a theologian, Ed Silvoso, uh, if you've read his book, Ecclesia, I highly recommend it. Or if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Here's what he's, he says. Let me just read this. He says, the temple and the synagogue were static institutions that functioned in buildings that members had to go to on specified occasions. Whereas the ecclesia, the term Jesus used, 
Whereas the Ecclesia was a buildingless, mobile people movement, movement designed to operate 24-7 in the marketplace for the purpose of having an impact on everybody and everything. See, we've, we've kind of lost this. The innovative movement that Jesus envisioned would not be contained by buildings. Not just in the temple, not just in the synagogue. And so Jesus was clearly, literally thinking outside our box. The ecclesia would be a movement to bring love to every living room, office building, community center, school, every nook and cranny in culture. And, and, and for those of us that got to uh, gather last night at the spring house, I mean, that's an ecclesia, right? And yes, you can have ecclesia in this place, but it doesn't have to just be in this place. It doesn't just have to be in our buildings, in our temples, in our synagogues. And I'll tell you what, the first thing I want to challenge you with is like, let's grab a hold of what Jesus challenges to at the very beginning. What does it mean for us to really be the ecclesia? What does that mean for us? And here's the thing about innovation too. I, if you ever, ever, ever in your life want to try something new, seriously, now is the time to do it. Because here's the deal, if it doesn't work, blame COVID, right? <laughs> you know, that really sucks, COVID. Right? I mean, you got, you literally, maybe the first time in your ministry, you have nothing to lose and, and an obvious place to pin it on. So please, 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 this is a great, great opportunity for innovation. I think Jesus is our example. Now, let me give you a second opportunity. I think a second opportunity is also around digitalization. Um, I'll tell you what, where's, you got your phone, pull your phone out. Just, just take a look at this thing. You know this right here, this, this little thing here? I, I am convinced this may be, okay, go ahead and look at it. Go ahead and just look at it. It'll do you good. This, or maybe it won't do you good. Um, this is probably the greatest discipleship tool that we've had available to us since the Gutenberg Press. And you might make a case even greater than that. People have this with them. I'm just reminding you of stuff you already know. 24 7. For the first time in history, we actually have the possibility to influence people for Jesus 24-7. And this is one way the church can be the ecclesia. And I know for us at community over the last two years, partly because we were forced, you know, we, we launched in earnest communityonline.tv. And I think we've had over 100,000 unique viewers that, have been, that we've been able to reach in all 50 states and like 151 countries. There's, there's something here. And, and here's, here's the thing. I'm, I'm seeing three different purposes right now for what a community is, our community online, okay? For some people, that is actually their home, okay? We can argue about disembodied worship and all that kind of stuff, and I, it's a great argument, great conversation. But whatever, it's their home, okay? The second thing, it's, it's a lot of people, almost everybody's first stop. We do what we call an after party after we have at our locations. We have an after party where you can learn more about it. And we ask them, hey, how'd you hear about community? 100%, almost 100% of the people will say, oh, I first visited community online. It's their first stop. And here's the third thing. The third thing is their second location. So, check this out. When people are gone on business and they want to check out the second part of the series on Holy Spirit, or when they're gone on vacation, or when they go visit grandma, or when there's bad weather, this is the, now their second location. And I don't fully understand what this means, but I know just from our kids' city, because we're able to do the studies on this in our children's ministry, we have a kids' city now that meets just online. Some classes or groups are just online. The frequency of attendance for the people who meet in our physical locations 
is 31%. They show up 31% of the time. This is a post-COVID stat, as recent as two weeks ago. 31% of the time. The kids that are part of our online groups, they show up 68% of the time. I, I don't know what that even means. Think about it, I think, because there's, some, there's something there. But I think we have to make this, we have to all of us make this shift from analog to digital and, and keep debating this stuff, but I'm telling you, 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 got, you got to lead into it. Let me, let me challenge you in two ways. I think one of them on digital discipleship, and here's why. Uh, I mean, Google's telling us that over the last couple of years, words such as God, words such as prayer, yours such as spiritual, are being searched at record high numbers. And I don't think it's because they're really, I think people are more skeptical about church than ever before, but I also think they're also looking for something transcendent. I mean, with the, with, with the increasing anxiety and, and all the crises are going on, they are looking for some help and some hope. I, I, had, a, I had a woman who's probably in her mid, at least mid, maybe late 60s, definitely not a digital native, come up to me. It's been a few months ago after the, we wrapped up our 51 weeks online. She pulled out her phone and she just showed it to me like this. And she said, thank you. Thank you for how you cared for me during the pandemic. She's like showing like her phones like in my face. And then she began to say, you know, like the way you, 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 you did those on the eights in the morning, we did devotional. Or you did the on the eights in the evening, we do evening worship. The way you did some community cares news, which is one of our programs. And she began to list all the different things. She said, I wasn't able to access it all, but it was like you were there for me. Thank you. And I, let me just kind of emphasize again, here's the potential, I think, with this illustration. I want to compare Marriott Hotel and Airbnb. Okay, Marriott Hotel and Airbnb. Marriott is currently the largest hotel chain in the world. It took Marriott 95 years to get to 8,000 hotels globally. 95 years to 8,000 hotels globally. In just 13 years, Airbnb now has 2.9 million hosts. 2.9 million hosts. And they are adding 14,000 brand new hosts every month. It's like Airbnb is growing every month what took Marriott 100 years to accomplish. Are you tracking with me on this? And I, and, I, and I want some of you who have apostolic gifts and some of you who are trying to think in movemental forms, you, we, we, we've got to not miss the scalability of what happens when we become, if, we, if the church can ever become a platform organization, which is what you would describe as Airbnb. And I think part of the issue, and I'm not going to be able to give you this, the solve on this one, but I think part of the issue is most of us are still just taking all the things we did in our buildings and now we're doing it online. We're streaming our services, we're, doing, we're just kind of tr transfer there. We haven't yet figured out, and, and somebody needs to figure this out, how do we actually use this for digital discipleship? Because I'm telling you, just like Airbnb knew, there's a whole bunch of people that have rooms, and there's a whole bunch of people that need rooms, there's a whole bunch of us that have Jesus, and there's a whole bunch of people out there that would like to have Jesus, who need that hope. And if we can figure out how to make this a platform, mark my words, some group's going to figure this out. And when they really figure it out, and they, and they simply put that together and able to connect those two people and put them in community, it has the potential, I think, globally, to outgrow what the Catholic Church has done for the last 2,000 years. And all of a sudden, you'll be going like Hillsong, Life Church. I mean, you know that. It'll be like that, compared, compared because of what's possible. All right, I think I brought I need to keep, I got to keep moving here. All right. Let me, let me, let me also... 
Uh, uh, digital discipleship, but I also want to talk a little bit, I think also the opportunities around digital small groups. Digital small groups. I got a chance to interview Nikki Gumbel. How many of you are familiar with Alpha? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, there's a whole bunch of aren't familiar. If you're not familiar with Alpha, I would encourage you to go ahead and look that up. I would say Alpha's probably had the greatest evangelistic impact in the history of Christianity, only behind the Apostle Paul and Billy Graham. So if you don't know Alpha, you really ought to know Alpha. Nikki Gumbel's the guy who founded Alpha out of Holy Trinity, Brompton. It's had a tremendous global impact. It's now just starting to make its way into churches like ours in North America. Um, Nikki refused to let any of the Alpha small groups go online uh, pr prior to the pandemic. They forced his hand. He thought it was a terrible thing. They forced his hand. He, he had to put them online. I got to interview him afterwards, and he said, you know what? I've changed my mind. He said, in fact, I now think there are actually some significant advantages to having our small groups online. And part of it, what he saw, the groups that were based out of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, they actually tripled in number in the first few weeks during the pandemic. Tripled. And he gave, he gave a few reasons. Here, here's why, my observation of why, some, for some reason, it's better. He said, one is, nobody has to travel to the church building, which in a place like London, or even a place like, like in Boise, I mean, you're talking about, it's going to be a half hour, an hour of your time just getting there and back. Second, he said, nobody has to get childcare, which is a cost savings. So now you're saving time and you're saving money. Thirdly, he said, people get their coffee exactly the way they like it. They don't have to have bad co church coffee. And they also get to drink it in their favorite mug. That's a quote from him. And he said, and all that happens in the comfort of your own home. And just to challenge you on this too, I mean, what we're finding at community, because we do Alpha, we do it online, and we also do it in person. But we're having people from all across the country, even people around the world that are now joining our Alpha online. And 40%, check this out, 40% of the people who go through Alpha say yes, because we survey them, they say yes to Jesus for the very first time. I got more on that, but I'm going to keep moving. Here's a third opportunity I think is in front of us. One is around innovation, one's around digital, it's also around mobilization. Around mobilization. It was uh, that next day, uh, I talked about the Wednesday, I talked about the Thursday, the next day, Friday, March 13th, 2020, I got back from that trip from the airport, all of Chicago and the state of Illinois, we got our stay-at-home orders. So I'm stuck in my house. And because I'm friends with Alan Hirsch and he's kind of a movement mentor, I get on the phone with Alan. I'm kind of like, okay, what now? What do I do now? Right? Have we heard from Alan? Oh, he's going to do a video or something. Is that later? Okay, you'll hear from him later. So Alan and I are, you know, exchange greetings. And then he tells me this. He says, Dave, back in the day when I was in Australia and running Forge, we used to play a simulation game to help church leaders imagine how to mobilize their entire church for the mission of Jesus. And here's the game I'd have them play. Just pretend, right? He said, I would tell them, I want you to pretend you're the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, if that doesn't resonate, the Archbishop of Canterbury would mean that you have 44 dioceses and you have 12,500 churches that you oversee. Pretend that's you. But suddenly one thing changes. And that is, you don't have any buildings. What would you do? We both kind of laughed a little bit. And then Alan said, we're living out that simulation game. What are you going to do, Dave? 
And here's the thing I think. A lot of our churches are starting to make the shift from analog to digital. But I'm telling you, if you only make the shift from analog to digital, you're missing a golden, golden opportunity. Because I think there's also significant opportunity to mobilize our people like never before. My observation, and you can, you can test this theory out, I think in our post-COVID world, I think there's opportunities for mobilizing our folks like never before. And here's why. Because I think there's been an increase in what I would call a generic kind of spiritual transcendent, I need something greater than myself, okay? There's an increase in that. At the same time, there's also a greater desire to be in smaller groups. For some people out of safety or some people they've discovered something they really like. You know, I kind of liked being closer to home. I don't really want to go back to work. I like this hybrid life. And so when you combine this need, okay, I want something spiritual, I want something transcendent, I like it a little smaller, I like it a little closer to home, I think we actually have the opportunity now here in the West to do the things that we've observed of the majority church in the East where for years, and we've, we've all leaned in and go like, man, I wish, I wish we would see movements here like we see in India. I wish we could see movements here like we see in Africa. And I think the shift, I think there's a shift in our culture that's going to make it, I think is making it here more acceptable and maybe more desirable than ever before. And I think it's a tremendous time to try it. One of the things we're doing in community <clears throat> is we launched what we're calling our three C communities. And it's basically our idea of discipleship is someone who, these three connections of connecting with God, connecting with others, and connecting with our, connect the church and connecting with the world. So we call them three C communities. And um, we've, we've launched a, a, a few of those now, and uh, we're just starting to lean into it. Uh, two weeks ago, in my small group, there's a guy in my small group named Rick Boley. I just want to tell you a couple stories. Rick's a guy who loves, loves, loves uh, families, and particularly the kids in those families who have special needs. He's been working with them for the last decade, both at a local level and at a global level on a national board for an organization called Capernaum. Well, he lost his job about two weeks ago. He'd done real well in sales. He's doing fine financially. And he was like, you know what? I think, I think God's calling me to do more with kids with special needs. In fact, he'd been at one of our exponential regionals in Chicago, and he came out and he said, I don't know what this means, but I think I'm supposed to go plant a church for families with special needs, who have kids with special needs. So when we started this micro church training, our 3C community training, I got a hold of Rick. I said, Rick, dude, you got to do this. And he, you could see, I mean, you see the adrenaline pumping in him. So in our, my small group, because he's in my small group, we sat him down. And I said, I just want you to just share the vision again with everybody here. He shares the vision. We went around the circle, about 10 of us, and each of us just kind of affirmed what we saw in him. And then after we affirmed that, then we all put our hands on him, and we prayed for him, and we commissioned him in his own living room there and said, hey, you're going to go through this training for the next 14 weeks. We fully support you, and you go with our blessing. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of things like that that can happen over and over and over again. I, I, got, a, I got another text this morning from a young lady named Stacy. Stacy is... Uh, she's a bodybuilder and a, and a coach. She's got about 20, 25,000 followers on Instagram. She's, she has an organization called Motivating You with an eight and a U. <laughs> she's got to be just like a, a total seven on the Enneagram. She just collects people. It's a giant party, but she's a brilliant coach and, and people. She's actually booked our largest venue at Community to have a bodybuilding contest, which is just hilarious. <laughs> But I would, and I just got to prompt him, going, you know what? Stacy needs to start a 3C community. And really, it's only been since COVID that she kind of re-engaged with our church. And so I texted her and said, hey, you know, we got this training. I would love for you to go through it. I explained it to her. And I said, because you could reach people I will never reach. 
<laughs> he texts me back, you are right. I, I'm with people you will never be with. <laughs> and, and she's going through it. And she's, you know, sending me back pizza's arrow quotes. Did you know this? Did you know that? I mean, she's like so far. I, I can go on and on about that. I'm telling you, there's opportunities for mobilizing people. And we need, to take, we need to lean into that, okay? Let me give you one more. One more here, too. I think there's also, fourthly, I think there's also an opportunity, lastly, for collaboration. Again, I think the opportunities in front of us, yes, there's opportunity for innovation. That's what Jesus was doing. I think there's opportunities for digitalization. Plus, don't miss that. There's also opportunities for mobilization. I think the culture is ripe for that. <clears throat> but lastly, also collaboration. And here's three important reasons. This is going to affirm so much what you're doing. Your church needs other churches more than ever. Secondly, you as a church leader, you need other church leaders more than ever. And lastly, here's the thing. When we come together like this, we multiply churches in ways we never would on our own. Part of my inspiration comes from Sam Stevens. Sam's a guy who's the president of the India Gospel League. He's helped plant 100,000 churches. And he constantly reminds me of this. He says, Dave, networks are the backbone to movement. Networks are the backbone to movement. So you want to know how you plant 100,000 churches? What you do is you don't just plant churches, but you plant networks that plant churches that plant churches. And I'm telling you, again, I want to affirm what you're doing here in the city network is so, so, so important. And I think it's a, thank goodness you're on the edge, but I think it's a glimpse of the future if God's kingdom is serious here in North America about being a movement. Here in Chicago, we have about 35 churches that are a part of four different networks there. And we've helped plant about 35 churches over the last four or five years. And so we're on the same, same kind of trajectory, same kind of track. And it wouldn't have happened without the collaboration. One of, one of the guys in our network, a guy named Watson Jones, he's the pastor of Compassion Baptist on the southeast side of Chicago, African-American friend. He's a part of our New Thing network. <clears throat> he reached out to myself and other churches in our network during COVID, early on, because he explained, he said, you know, what we discovered is that 70% of the COVID-19 cases in Chicago are showing up in African-American neighborhoods, which only make up 29% of the population. Well, how can that be? Well, what we found upon closer examination was that the elderly were being uh, disproportionately affected. And what was going on is many of them were on food assistance, which didn't include delivery of their food. And so they were actually making more trips to the grocery store, these older folks, and then making more trips to the grocery store, they were actually contracting the, the coronavirus more often. So Watson and a couple of his buddies came up with this idea. They just called it Chicago Delivers. And they came to our network, and a few of us all chipped in money to make it happen. And so we were able actually to be able to, then, to deliver the food to this older African-American population, and literally, okay, our network was saving lives. And that only happens through collaboration. I'm absolutely convinced, okay, that this is a, I'm convinced of two things. Right now is a brutal, hard time, okay? It's just, it is really hard. No doubt about it. And I'm I'm in the trenches. I'm also a local pastor, just like, most all of you. But I'm also convinced, I'm also convinced that it's also kind of a pivotal time. And I'll add, I'm gonna add one more comment I'm watching here. Ed Stetzer came and, Ed Stetzer came and spoke at our new thing together, I mentioned this, and he talked about the cultural convulsion that's going on. And he said it's not just really one crisis, it's like six different crises that are happening, and I've listed some of them. 
And he said, these usually happen about every 60 years. And he went back to the 60s and talked about all the things that happened in the 60s. We just didn't have social media that made us kind of, kind of, uh, kind of spread the news as much. And he said, but every time we have these 60 years, it also is a time of great opportunity. Because he said, if you go back to the 60s, that was also when the church gave birth to the Jesus movement. It was also when the North American church gave birth to um, you know, Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. And also uh, John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement, which are probably the last two church planting movements we saw in this continent. And so maybe, 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 yeah, as hard as it is right now, maybe it is a time that's actually just ripe for opportunity. And we need people like us to be thinking about innovation. What do we do with this digital stuff? How do we mobilize more folks? And how do we collaborate together? All right, let's pray. Father God, I want to say thanks for this group. <coughs> I ask that you just sanctify our imaginations. I ask that you take this talk and <clears throat> help every person here to begin to think about, okay, what does that mean in my context? How do I actually do that? How do I take advantage of these God-given opportunities to help more and more people find their way back to you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.